This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly and as we predicted a complete non-event of a Premier League weekend apart from in some sort of order an absolute classic at St James's Park as Newcastle and Manchester City put us all on a high spin sports wash with the unstoppable once every 10 games Allenson Maximum playing a blinder brilliant goals overturned red cards and a great comeback from the champions. Leeds blow Chelsea away, an assist for the Ellen Road crowd, Americans on the pitch and on the touchline getting everything right. A hard day for the Football Weekly agenda and a harder day for Chelsea's backroom staff having to get on a bus. Repeat, a bus. Saliba slammers all round, Arsenal atop and Gabriel Jesus is brilliant. Spurs and Harry Kane grind out another result. Leicester lose at home to perhaps we shouldn't have relegated them. Southampton, a treat in the bright lights of West London as Fulham edge Brentford. Lampard gets out of jail, Gerrard doesn't. Pascal Gross with the touch of the weekend, leaving West Ham on naught points, level with Manchester United. All that, plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. Richie says, elite vocal lineup on the pod today. Let's welcome them. Lars Sividson, hello. Hello, everyone. Was, uh, was that the longest intro you've ever done? I think just in terms of, of minutes or of seconds. I, I th- that went on a bit. It was a big weekend, I suppose. All right. Okay. Well, it's no need for a debrief already. Blimey. Barry Glendenning, welcome. <laughs> uh, hi, Max. Uh, hello, Nader Manua. Nice to see you. Yes, and you too, sir. I thought that was a good intro. Don't worry about Lars. Very kind. Hey, I didn't say bad. I said long. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I'll redo it at the end. It could be four seconds. Oh, long. That's true. That was really. That was a, like an it idiot. was a thoughtless comment of me. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's start at St James's Park, Newcastle three, Manchester City three. Lars, this was a brilliant game of football, wasn't it? No, it, it was so much fun, and um, I thought Newcastle were were rewarded for the fact that they just went at them. You know, they 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 weren't. There must be such an instinct or such a tendency for a lot of teams when they come up against City to just sort of kind of sit back and like oh god like I hope we don't lose 7-0 here I thought Newcastle were really brave and they put a lot of pressure on Man City and they didn't let them get settled in their sort of rhythm and they didn't let their passing game get going thought the front line worked incredibly hard off the ball and then they showed a lot of quality on the ball when they had the chance to, to get at them and uh, I know our, our, our dear friend uh, Jonathan Wilson you know it would be very unlike him to uh, recycle uh, a column he's done previously i mean that sort of thing you just you don't expect that from jonathan but he did once write about how man city is is kind of like the death star they're this sort of technical accomplishment this sort of perfect sort of uh machine of destruction but they do have an exhaust vent uh, that can be exploited and and we kind of most teams don't get there and i mean they try to exploit it but then they concede six goals so it doesn't matter but but when you can actually run at them when you can get the their their defense on the turn and you can can run at them and you're able to do that they they often look iffy man city it's a team that feels designed to have the ball and to keep possession and to outplay you and when they're in a position where they actually have to defend when player teams are able to run at them they they often don't look comfortable and i thought we saw more of this today yesterday is that the case Nadim? that is it as simple as because San Maximum was brilliant and he had the chance to run at them, that is why Newcastle at times looked too much for City. I think it's definitely one of the factors. What I would say, though, um, and I think this is something which we kind of saw in the Leeds, game, Leeds versus Chelsea game, is that when you're a team, you know, if you're playing at home and you're playing against Man City, I think one of the worst things you can do is just take a back step as soon as the ball's kicked off. I think when you go and get 
into them, it sort of upsets their rhythm. But there are some sides, you know, you want to play the low block and all this stuff. And in some ways, you know, you, you, you think you're in the game for longer. But you've got no real control. And say players like St. Maximum, if you have them in your team then, you're giving them the ball. And instead of having maybe one player in front of them or possibly two, because it's a transition, it's now like a back four plus three midfielders and stuff like that. So the best way to sort of be able to try and exploit them is to try and put them under more pressure. It doesn't always work because, you know, for as good as the game was, I don't think City were anywhere near perfect yesterday. But, you know, in those moments, he can get players like St. Maximum into it and he's got less of a sort of, it's harder to defend, let's say, as we saw in that match. And also it gets the crowd going. Like fans don't want to turn up to a game playing against Man City when they're at home and just watch their team do nothing. You know, they want to see them attempt to do something. I think go back two weeks to the way West Ham played against City and compare it to Newcastle. You know, before you know it, the fans are right into it. And it's like, this is the rejuvenation of Newcastle United at St. James's Park because they go and play against the Man City. They get in their faces and they have some Maximan running, doing tricks that nobody's seen before against Kyle Walker, who, you know, for as good as he is, it's hard to defend against somebody that good when they've got space because you never really know which way they're going to go. It was a very brave approach from Newcastle because if you're sent out to go at them, and I'm sure Eddie Howe must have, you know, just be sick and tired of getting hammered by um, City teams under Pep and uh, because he has been repeatedly. But then to find yourself a goal down after five minutes is like, oh Christ, you know, this is this is going to be another hiding. And as brave a performance as it was from Newcastle, I thought they were slightly lucky because when City went one up, not for the first time this season, Phil Foden took a shot from a tight angle when he should have squared the ball for Erling Haaland. He would have scored, it would have been 2 0. And you suspect then it might have been an absolutely calamitous afternoon for Newcastle. Um, Lars, what what was your moment of the? I mean, there were so many brilliant moments here. I thought Callum Wilson's first touch for that goal was stunning. De Bruyne's pass to Silva is ridiculous. The Trippier free kick. There are just some brilliant moments of football in this game. Yeah, I, it feels kind of wrong because we do want to give credit to Newcastle, who were who were really good and and brave and made it a great game. But for me, it's the De Bruyne pass. It's one of those like Jesus. Uh, I, I think it, it becomes a matter of, of aesthetics and and taste. But I think of all the players in the Premier League, like if there's one who you're paying to watch when he's at his very best, who you look forward to watching the most, I think for me, like De Bruyne is the player in the league that you'd you'd look forward to watching. Because he has this incredible vision. And again, the scary thing is he can play that pass with both feet, like if he has to. So he's just an absolutely terrifying prospect. And uh, yeah, the vision is, is just unbelievable. So that, that for me, I think, was the moment that made me make the loudest noise in my sofa. Nadim, who's happier with this result? Um, hmm, I think that's a good question. If... Thank you. I'd probably say Arsenal because they're two points clear, top of the league, you know, the <laughs> Arsenal weren't truly back. But in terms of the way the game went, I think overall, I'd probably say Newcastle. I think for City, the fact they took the lead and then before you know it, they've got to find two goals to try and get anything from it. You know, they'll t- celebrate the fact that they showed good fighting spirit, came back in and, you know, could have won the game and all that stuff. But for Newcastle, as I say, they had such a high and for long periods in that match, the sense, the feeling when you scored three against Man City, because to this point, they hadn't conceded anyway. So I think I'd lean towards them. Um, but I think overall, both sides would come the weeks, come today, take that draw and say, I tell you what, that was a good game of football. It was a tough game of football. And they'll just earmark the next time to play against each other because uh, they know it's not going to be uh, a walkover on Eddie Howe versus Pep walkover like we've seen in times gone by. I was very happy for Miguel Almiron, actually, because I mean, I won't be the first person to pull this up, either, but I thought that was weirdly disrespectful after the season uh, from from Grealish, sort of like uh, using him as an example of, of terribleness, uh, which I always thought was just mean, because, I mean, he's a player who who's come over from, from MLS. He's come into what was at the time a fairly dysfunctional Newcastle side, and certainly his time in England has not been what he will have been hoping, I think, in terms of goals and assists. But if you if you watch Newcastle regularly, like at no point can you ever fault his commitment, the, the work he puts in, and the fact that he's trying to do stuff uh, for a team that, again, during his time there, has not often been very good and not often helping him a lot. And he's ended up, as a forward player, spending all his energy running around rather than trying to do stuff with the ball. And I think just... Of all the players to dig out he's a really weird one uh, for, for me uh, so uh, watching him kind of shove that down their throats a little bit I thought that was very nice quite interesting actually Nedim that players don't dig out players publicly more often 
<laughs> do you think that's interesting? Like, why <laughs> well, would you, you know, offer? Because there's lots, there's lots of players. They can't all like each other. They're probably asked no, a lot. They, Come on, no, who's rubbish? They, and someone says, you know, I think he's rubbish. Yeah, behind, behind the scenes, everyone knows who they like and don't like, who they hate and don't hate. But then the, at the end of the day, like, you don't want to feel the controversy. The Grealish one was able to sort of like move away because the season was over. If Grealish said that in the build-up to this game, you know, that's the talking point. That's all anyone wants to mention. Like Almiron's doubly motivated. His teammates are getting right behind him. They're going around, getting getting riled up. And to be fair, like to put it into perspective, the only player I ever played with who seemed to sort of bring out the best in the opposition was like Joey Barton for some of the stuff that he'd say. Because he was like, oh, I'm so great. I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever. And people, I knew lots of people every single week who really didn't like him. So lo and behold, I'm like, oh, well, look at that. Someone's played really well today because they're going 1v1 against him. You know what I mean? It's just not, it's just not, it's not worth it. Like, what's the real benefit? Maybe when a game's done, when a season's done, leave a little bit on someone, perhaps. But during the season, the controversy that comes, and then everyone's watching the game, and then only one person's going to be happy, everything will get overanalyzed. And yeah, so ultimately, that's why everyone says, oh, like even Liverpool, or say the, the, the current Premier League leaders, Arsenal, they could be playing the bottom of the league next week, if that's Man United or West Ham or whoever. And they'll be like, oh, they're a great team. They're a great team. They'll be fine. They'll be this, they'll be that. Mm. But away from the microphone, it's like, yeah, okay, so we're going to try and destroy this team. But, you know, it's just a it's a respect thing so that you don't offer them any more encouragement than they need already. Bas, what did you make of the Trippier red card, not red card? I think it was the correct decision to overturn it. Um, it's it's. I don't think it's any worse than a yellow. I think the laws should be amended so it does become a red. And I am enjoyed the irony of it happening to Man City, who are the absolute masters of fouls like that to prevent transition quick transitions and uh i i applaud kieran trippier's honesty afterwards where he just came and said i had to bring him down i think if the red had stood he probably wouldn't have had a huge problem with it and i've seen an example posted on twitter of uh i think it was an allen foul on alan Maximum in the everton newcastle game last season where it was a very similar challenge and Alan got booked for it and his booking was upgraded to a red. So again, it's a consistency thing, but I, I had no problem with it being overturned. Does anybody, I mean, I really think Sinbins would be good here. I really think for a, a, a professional tactical foul, Kieran Trippier in the bin, 10 minutes. I know you're not allowed to change football ever, even though IFAD change it all the time. It's not a red card, but 10 minutes in the bin, he thinks twice about that. And we sort of want to, I mean, do we want to encourage free-flowing football, Lars? Or do we want people to be kicked over like that cynically? No, I honestly feel like these tactical fouls belong somewhere halfway between the yellow and, and the red. Because a yellow card is like a test that's sort of, yeah, okay, you're allowed to do this once. Uh, where, uh, whereas a red card just completely changes the game and almost decides the outcome. So it's a really difficult like place to go to for the referee. The, no, as much as people like think referees like the limelight, I think very few referees actually like giving out red cards because you know like you've done a lot now to decide how this game is going to end. And the, I guess the question with this is whether he's actually endangering the safety of the opponent. And it is a lunge where he is fully off the ground and so not really in control of his body anymore. And there are referees, I think, who will argue that that's dangerous and, and therefore should stay as red. I, I personally think it didn't quite. And the comparison with the Allen one last season, if I recall correctly, the Allen one was more of a straight leg onto the ankle of the players. There was more obvious sort of like danger to the, the health and safety to the player on the receiving end. But but definitely some sort of uh, some sort of sin bin arrangement for the tactical fouls. I'd be completely in favour of. And if the sin bin was an actual wheelie bin, it would be great entertainment. Oh yes, <laughs> put yeah. it in the bin. Filippo Claire said, and we should we do need to touch. We'll pre- probably be there, most people looking back at this game will not touch on the fact that both these clubs are owned by Petro's dates, and we do need to at least mention it, Barry. Otherwise, we have been sports washed too. It had occurred to me that we haven't mentioned sports washing once so far this season when discussing City or Newcastle. And I suppose everyone, when they were allowed to buy Newcastle, the sports washers won. And everyone is now firmly entrenched in their positions. The fans, Newcastle fans who are uncomfortable with it, remain uncomfortable with it. The Newcastle fans who don't care, still don't care. The Newcastle fans who actively cheerlead on behalf of their new owners will continue to actively cheerlead on behalf of their new owners. And 
you know, it's the same with journalists. Um, journalists who cover Newcastle specifically can't really say a huge amount about it or they lose their access. People like us can continue to spout on about it and get torrents of abuse on Twitter. Um, but, you know, the, the, the sports watchers have already won by the fact that they've been allowed to to um, buy the club. The one thing I would say, and I, I didn't expect them to do it, there's no reason why they should do it, but I thought what might have been a nice touch is if Newcastle fans maybe raised awareness in some way of Salma al-Shihab, the mother of two from Leeds University who has recently been incarcerated for 34 years for using Twitter. Uh, so what she did was very innocuous, barely even a crime, and she should be released immediately. But, you know, it would have been nice, but there's again, there's no reason why Newcastle fans, it's not on them. It's not their fault she's been in prison, but maybe if they raised a bit of awareness of her plight, it might go somewhere towards securing a release. But that's me just being wishy-washy and woke, isn't it? It is. Um, which is nice. Makes a change for you, Barry. Constantly being cancelled, Barry. Um, let's go to Alan Road, shall we? Leeds 3, Chelsea 0. David uh, said, after watching the unending, knackered misery of Leeds' previous season, wasn't that just the most joyous and cathartic thing to see? Wonderful game. Andrew says, where's your anti-American bias now, eh? Um, I mean, <laughs> Leeds, Nadem, were absolutely brilliant in this game. Yeah, they certainly were. They certainly were. And I'll be honest, at the start of the season, I was I was a bit worried for them with the departure of Phillips. You see Rafinha leave. But then under Jesse Marsh, you know what? The game or the way they played kind of felt like playing against like an RB team. Because I've seen how Salzburg do it. I've seen how um, Leipzig do it. I've seen how like even RB, Red Bulls, New York do it. And it's intense. It's not necessarily filled with the best players, but the way they do it makes you really uncomfortable. And I think for Leeds, the way they started that game, where basically they didn't allow Chelsea to get into a groove and then they continued it. And best of all, really, you know, this is a transition from Bielsa. It kind of made sense because you weren't having people follow people around the field. This is your spot and you press from this position and the next person does this. And you could see that, you know, they've been working at it and the players were very, very good at it. And when they came, like, they went 100%. And I'll be honest with you, for as for a, as simple a game as football can be sometimes, it gets very, very difficult when somebody's in your face for 90 minutes as you're trying to do something because then it really tests not just you, but the people wanting to receive the ball. You've also got somebody on them and then the person who wants to receive it from them before you know it's very easy to hide. And I think for Chelsea, they could never really, could never really match that level of intensity and that sort of quality in terms of how they pressed. And lo and behold, as was the case with Newcastle, when you play like that, it gets the crowd behind you. So sometimes that, if you can get that home side, if you can get the home fans on your side when you're playing as an away player there and the pressure's on you, it's very, very hard to play well. So you just hope for the result. But for Chelsea, those goals were flying in and yeah, finished in a, somewhat of a very bad day for them, you'd say. Um, Lars, why, don't, why doesn't everybody defend or press like that then? Or, or, or why, doesn't, why don't Leeds win all the time? Because it seems like putting the opposition under pressure a lot of the time seems like quite a sensible idea because it can go wrong and i was remember watching the first half thinking this is really brave from leeds and i'm enjoying it because what chelsea do under tuchel when they're playing well is that they just kind of strangle the, the life out of the game they're really disciplined in their positioning they're very tidy on the ball and we saw for an hour against tottenham they can just stop you from doing anything but but leeds were just kind of flying at them with like several players closing down the ball and and that's that's terrific but the thing is that does create gaps other places so if you do manage to escape that sort of first wave of, of players coming at you then there are spaces to exploit and you can get hit down the other end uh, pretty rapidly and i to be honest i thought that was what was going to happen uh, but then of course they as, as tuchel was at uh, at pains to point out after the game they they can see the goal through a terrible individual mistake albeit one forced by the the enthusiastic pressing of young brendan aronson and then they can see the goal from a set piece uh, so that's that's one of those things where you know, last week it was Chelsea who got the first goal from a set piece, and that kind of dominates the way the game goes a little bit. But it 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 made the game much more exciting than Chelsea Tottenham was because that was more of a of a of a sort of fixed position tactical thing for a long time. Whereas here they were just running at Leeds, which has risks associated with it, but the, it went in their favour. Winning the ball back high up the pitch is great, and and Brendan Aronson Barry did win it really high up the pitch. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> from, from, from Edward Mendy. I, I wonder why goalkeepers, when they're in a spot of bother, don't just put it out for a corner. You know what I mean? Like, it, it would look a bit silly, but it's better than doing what Mendy did there. Yeah, it is. I don't think that was entirely Mendy's fault, though. I think his defenders hung him out to dry because um, if if you, when he received the back pass and, and Aronson was on him like a flash... Uh, you had Koulibaly, Reese James and Mark Cucurella were all stood like statues, none of whom he could pass the ball to and none of them moved to give him an option for the pass. But yeah, I agree. He, he probably should have just put it out for a corner, but he tried to be too clever and got caught out. But I I think it's not entirely Edward Mendy's fault, but he's the one who ends up looking like a complete idiot. All right, so here we go. There's some footballer insight. It's not quite Gabby level, but there's footballer insight here, yeah. So <laughs> in terms of significant things that went wrong with that goal, the ball got played back to him. Like, if you're going to play a ball back to a goalkeeper to kick, you have to play it softer. But instead, they fizzed it back to him. When you fizz it back to the point where the goalie has to take a touch, you have to move to then give him another option. So for those Chelsea players or whoever played it back to play it back that hard, like they sensed the ball needed to go. We need to give them a better ball. And that's why Mendy even though he made the mistake, was furious afterwards because they fizzed it back. He took a bad touch. And before he knew it, he had nothing apart from, as Barry was saying, to, you know, to kick out for a, for a corner or something. But it's just, it's little details like that that can go a long, long way. Like, it's, you just roll it back soft so you can hit it first time and then everybody's in the right position. But if you play it like that, you have to give them an option. And if they would have done that, maybe they would have gone 1-0 down like that or to whatever score, wherever it was at that point. So... Yeah, it's the, it's the little details that go a long way. And that's why I say Mendy was furious. Because if you're going to get a ball like that, you expect a different outcome as opposed to one where everybody just leaves you on an island to try and basically play 1v1 versus Aronson. Um, Nathaniel says, it's a four-hour coach journey the day before a game, tiring enough <laughs> to make you susceptible to the offside trap. John <laughs> says, can you and the rest of the panel see a notable difference in performance from Barry, dependent on what transportation he has taken? Will Barry need to be flown to every game and meeting until he retires? This Lars is Thomas Tuchel saying, everything that can go wrong did go wrong. It started yesterday. We had no plane to arrive, so we came on the bus. The players could fly, but for the coaching staff, it was a long ride. It continued today. Um, it seems slightly ridiculous. Yeah, we're sometimes guilty in the media of of flagging up little things like that when the coach hasn't actually made a big deal out of it. Like there was a couple. Like I think after Fulham Liverpool, uh, Jurgen Klopp gave a pretty detailed answer of what he felt went wrong. And one of the many things he mentioned was that the pitch was a bit dry and that that was a trouble for them. And then obviously because that sounds ridiculous, that becomes the headline. Like Jurgen Klopp blames the dry pitch blow. But in this case, he did talk, did say it like right straight up front and center, and said, "Oh well, you know, it was very difficult because we couldn't fly." Which is like, what? What are you talking about? I thought that was a very, just a really strange direction to go with it, because because Thomas Tuchel is a really intelligent guy, and he must know that if he says, "Well, it was difficult because the coaching staff couldn't fly to Leeds," people will make fun of him because it sounds fully ridiculous. I'm reminded of um, Margaret Thatcher's famous quote where she said, if a man finds himself a passenger on a bus, having attained the age of 26, he can count himself a failure in life. So <laughs> it's no surprise Chelsea got hammered by Leeds. <laughs> because as uh, Cahill Coughlin, the famous Irish singer who, who collaborated with um, Philippe before he died earlier this year, he, he had a one of his hits was Only Losers Take the Bus. So, you know. I, I see. I feel Thomas's pain. I think my first ever tweet was, I am on a bus. So <laughs> says a lot, really, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that'll do for part one. Uh, we'll begin part two with uh, Arsenal's march to the title. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Biffins Bridge says, will Arsenal really get 114 points? Um, the first time Arsenal 
have won their opening three fixtures since 2004-05. They've been unchanged for the first three games. Um, Naden, once again, Gabriel Jesus was brilliant. And like everything he did for that first goal, the strength, the touch, the run. Mm. Yeah. He's really good at football. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, re- he's really good at football. And I think from a uh, from perspective of somebody who watched a lot of City games, it was more so a case of like him not consistently doing it. But, you know, there are probably a million reasons as to why that was the case. But when you saw his ceiling, you know, when he's at City, you can understand why he's doing what he's doing for Arsenal. He is the main man. He plays through the middle and he will bring success for Arsenal. And I think him walking through that door, like him and Zinchenko coming into City, like even though they were players who weren't playing, say, 50, 60 games a season for City, when they went to Arsenal, they're arriving as multiple Premier League winners. You know, they are serial winners and you can see the effect that it's had on them. They're very comfortable in that shirt. And they're just, they're just like, Jesus, when the ball went up in the air and he just pushed the centre-back out of the way, he said, sit down, son. And then curve round, went this way, did a bit of nice footwork, did this. And he's desperation to score as well. You know, he could have scored two or three in that game. And he's also getting assists when he takes bad touches, like for the Odegaard uh, second goal, mm-hmm. I think it was. So, you know, when everything is going your way, it's fantastic and fair play to him. You know, he's waited a long time to be the man. And it seems like Arteta's given him that option. And for Arsenal, he's definitely somebody you can get behind because he suits their style of play. He suits that sort of want and desire to be really good. And it's an obvious answer. Of course, they'll have 114 points coming at the end of the season. It's obvious. Given that they keep winning the league and keep taking like 1995, 97 points, it should maybe knock them too much. But there is something about that Pep Guardiola system that I think for some players can be a bit of a straight jacket as well. Like obviously the the... The, the whole becomes more than the sum of the parts and, and, and they're unbelievably successful. But for someone like Jesus, it must be quite liberating to instead of having incredibly specific instructions and having this really angry Catalan man jumping up and down at halftime if you do anything slightly differently. Uh, it must be liberating to just be up front for Arsenal and having Arteta just like, off you go, Jesus, just go and be brilliant. That must be a lot more fun. Andy says, with Arsenal having such a good start to the season, which team do you think they're going to lose to that kicks off a massive implosion? Their next five games, Barry, <laughs> Fulham, Villa, Man United, Everton and Brentford. I mean, they could like, they could start the season absolutely brilliantly. And, and that, that would be a surprise to me. Yeah. Uh, look, of course they're going to have a bad day at the office sometime. Everyone does. Uh, you know, Chelsea had a shocker yesterday. Having played well the week before, I I won't be at all surprised if Arsenal finish in the top four. Only time will tell if they're title contenders. Is it even ludicrous to suggest they might be this early? Forum has offered very little, and it was men against boys. You know, it was absolute. They they hammered them. Like Forum barely got a touch of the ball. So, um. I, I would not read too much into it, but the, the the Gooners at the Vitality Stadium had a wonderful evening going through <laughs> their repertoire of songs, old and new, and I think everyone who watched the game was had Saliba as an earworm for um, the last 24 or 36 hours or whatever. Yes, Chris says, should Arsenal be automatically relegated because of the Saliba chant? Uh, Tim says, when Barry scored his worldy header, did the crowd sing Glenn Denning to the tune of Tequila for 45 minutes, only for him to score in the second half and it carried on for another 35 minutes? I, I, I think it's quite, I think it's quite a fun song. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I, I think if I was in that crowd, I'd be delighted and I would sing it merrily, I think. The player to whom the song is devoted was absolutely brilliant. He had a 100% pass completion rate he looks incredibly elegant on the ball he's good off the ball his goal was sensational um from distance with his wrong foot he's a right-footed player he scored with his left and Oleksandr Zinchenko's reaction was was a joy was that goal as far as centre-back goals go was that as good as Nader Manuha versus Chelsea no. For Sunderland. Okay. No, no, no. 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 That's just next question. Silly question. No chance. Okay. Impossible. Uh, w- w- uh, um, I don't know where you had Arsenal finishing, Nadam, at the start of the season. Have you revised that? Yeah. So my um, my top six predictions are awful as it stands. You know, I'll say, you know, I was sucked in by certain things. You know, I wasn't tracking other things. You know, I may have had Man United in fourth. I regret that. 
I regret that a lot. But, you know, living <laughs> in Manchester, sometimes you've got to give yourself the best chance to be able to survive. But nationally, I'm a, I'm a laughingstock when it comes to predictions. And I was really unsure about Arsenal because I've seen some teams that are really good in preseason. That as soon as, like, the badge goes on the shoulder and the games begin, you know, they can be really bad. But in terms of overall performance, they look, they look good. And, you know, Jesus is playing well, Zinchenko's playing well. But as I look at the team... They they know what they're supposed to be doing individually, but then also understand it collectively. And that's a big difference, I believe, between like teams who are okay and teams who are really good. Because when you know something really well, the left centre back could tell you the role of the right winger. You know what I mean? The right winger could tell you the role of the right back. And you can see that they know what they're going. Nothing is like independent. No one's playing independently of anybody else. So they're looking good. And yeah, I think I might have had them in like fifth. But as it stands, as I say, with 114 points, there's a very good chance they're going to win the league. So I guess I'm going to split them up top, yeah. So City leads Spurs and Brighton all two points behind Arsenal. Uh, we've done City and Leeds. Let's do Spurs and Brighton. Spurs beat Wolves 1-0. Very much getting the job done for Spurs, Barry. They weren't particularly good in the first half. They were a bit better in the second. Yeah, it was a, a game of two halves and a Tottenham of two halves. They were diabolical in the first half. Ponderous, slow, um, Lacking the cut of the edge, the front three, Son, Kulusevski and Kane just could not get into the game at all. And I would imagine they got an awful bollocking at half time from Antonio Conte and came out and were much improved in the second and were probably worth their win. You know, it's one they, they ground out Harry Kane's 250th goal for the club. But, uh, yeah, they were far from impressive overall. And they weren't particularly... Well, they were pretty poor last week as well, even though they, they got a point against Chelsea. But it was a good win. I was I was pretty impressed with Wolves as well, I have to say. But their big problem is scoring goals, and that bit them on Saturday. So Harry Kane, as you say, 250th goal for Spurs. Uh, also fourth in the all-time Premier League uh, goal-scoring charts now ahead of Sergio Aguero. Not a lot of movement for that goal, Nathan, but it's great movement, even if there isn't much of it. Did he ever get the better of you? Oh, absolutely not. Harry Kane and me for the clubs I played for. <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Do not be ridiculous. No, um, to be fair, I don't think he... I don't think... I'm sure the internet let me know, but I don't think he scored against me. But, you know, right. as somebody who then finished most of his career in the championship, I, there's understandable why he never really got the chance. He was, he was a wise yeah, I was move. I was going to say, did... Did, did you ever play against him? Yeah, I did, yeah. It was a wise move for him to choose to stay in the Premier League as opposed to step down and try and fight me like a real man. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, it's, it's very, very impressive. And the thing that sort of impresses me the most, I think it was in 2014 or maybe 2013. The, the, this is how wild it is. I think he had the chance to come to QPR, but Harry Redknapp said he's not going to make it. Yeah, this is in 2013. So Harry rejected him. And then I think that same season, he was the third choice striker behind Dave Nugent and Jamie Vardy at Leicester. So all these goals that he scored, it's not like he came through at Spurs at 17 and spent the last like 12 years playing there. He's just been prolific, absolutely prolific. And, you know, when, you, when you're when you like me and you have a fantasy football team and he scores that header, you know, you're giving him a round of applause and saying, thank you. Thank you for blessing me with your presence, Harry. You are going to be the greatest striker in Premier League history. Conte seemed pretty happy after the game, actually. And I think one thing that's worth saying about these first halves, because it's not the first time this has happened, I think I've watched most of Tottenham's games under Conte, and it does happen quite often that they don't do much in the first half of games. Now, I don't think they intended, I don't think they took the field intended to be as, you know, far off it in the first 45 as they were. But I definitely think that just keep it tight, don't take a lot of risks, don't concede before halftime, and then turn up the tempo and win the game in the second half. I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain that that is a, a feature, not a bug, as they say. I think I think that's what they want to do in these games. Like I'm not saying the plan was to have like zero shots and concede twelve or whatever it was in the first time, but but there it is. It is part of the game plan uh, to to an extent. Pravesh says, "Was Barry as surprised as me to see Adama Traore back at Wolves, or didn't even know that Traore was signed by Barcelona in January, and now he's back at Wolves?" Are you are you across Adama Traore and all his movements? Uh, I knew he'd gone to Barcelona, but I, I didn't realise it was alone. So I was a little surprised to see him. but And pleasantly surprised because it was quite obvious when he was getting ready on the bench that he had lubed up with his <laughs> uh, baby oil. It was, you could see it glistening in the afternoon sunshine. But uh, he, did, he didn't make much of an impression on the game. 
Wolves started Matthias Nunes, who they signed from Sporting last week. He'd only had two training sessions, but they threw him straight in, and he looked pretty decent. He had two good chances that he wasted. Uh, Daniel Podens snatched at a shot. He should have scored as well. So it was an encouraging performance for Wolves, but they really need a striker. Or to hope that Raul Jimenez can refine his mojo. Stampar says, can you please do me a solid and not talk about West Ham? Um, well, we'll talk about Brighton more then. Can we begin with that touch by Pascal Gross, Nadem, to set up Trossard? Oh. It oh, was yeah. absolutely beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it was. It was because, you know, essentially he's got his back to the play as well. So those players who can sort of scan around them and understand that that's the thing to do. You know, it's very, very impressive. He's a very, very intelligent football player. And, you know, when, you, when you're watching it and you watch it back, like, they've played him the ball and you can see that there's someone behind. So in my head, I'm thinking, oh, try and over it. Let it run through your legs or something because someone will get played in. But that little touch, that's really, really intelligent. And he gets a whack for it as well. But those are the sorts of players you want in your team because they don't get a ton of credit. But when you can sort of understand and read a game and understand things around you like that, there aren't that many people that exist. So in in football anyway. So yeah, it was it was truly magnificent, and he's rewarded with the finish as well because otherwise it would have been a very sore leg and a great bit of vision for nothing in particular. Jack says, "Can Brighton get a European place? World Cup will basically be a winter break for them." And it's interesting, Lars. You talk about Arsenal. Like Brighton do look like every player is playing in a position they should play in, doing things they should do. Yeah, I suspect there was a stat during the rounds. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that they're actually the team that's been assembled for the least money in in terms really? of in terms of just transfer fees, Brighton. Which uh, which sounds about right. I mean, obviously, transfer fees only tell part of the story, and wages are more indicative of performance, and yada yada yada. But it's clear that they're a team who are very very good at identifying players who have exactly the qualities they want for for their system. And Gross again is, I, I love him because he's a bit of a throwback. Like he's not a hugely terrifying physical specimen pascal gross he's not like super fast or super strong and in the sort of modern age of the advance of the pressing is everything and most of the sort of elite division players are incredible physical uh specimens but he's he's kind of like a, a, a slight not very fast player who, who, who keep finding ways of, of making himself very useful to this brighton team by just being a very clever he's saying he just he has a fag at half time you know, and a, and a shot not, of whiskey before the sure game. I'm not entirely sure he does. You know, proper old school. Um, uh, uh, West Ham, Barry, have naught points. This is not a, an ideal start for them. Uh, no, it isn't. But I, I, and I think they, they were booed off yesterday. You obviously want to get points on the board early in the season. And I, w- I wouldn't panic just yet. But I, I, I haven't looked at their fixtures. I don't know who's next or what they've got coming up. But um, I, I thought they were okay yesterday. They had chances. And there's no shame in being beaten by this Brighton side, I don't think. Because on their day, they they could beat anyone, I think. But yeah, having no points after three games. My, my searing insight is that it's not ideal. Mm. <laughs> which is exactly what I said to you. So really, you're just the <laughs> insights Points. that I, <laughs> I, put on a, I put on a plate for you. Uh, <laughs> like Pascal Gross, I just laid that on for you. And, and I've passed it back to you. <laughs> yeah. So, so Nedham, you did say earlier, this is the kind of pod that it makes you think. I mean, here we've got... Points good, no points bad. I mean, through your experience as Listen, a professional it, footballer, all makes perfect sense. playing at the all highest level, perfect sense. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a, yes. a textbook Russian hospital pass. It's like what am I? <laughs> I met. I sat my feet. I'm Edward Mendy, and uh, Brendan Aronson is sprinting. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? Is is having no points a bad thing? Ah! <laughs> I'll just put it out for a corner. <laughs> you know what? You are you are right, but with the points thing, like I've, I once went through. I think with QPI, we went 15 games without a win, but we did have some draws in there. So it's more than just getting a point. Trust me, it's about that first win. And until that right. comes, you know, you get you just spiral into like the the worst crisis ever. And, and for West Ham, like you know, you say it's not a bad thing to lose to that Brentford side, but that's the perspective of somebody who doesn't support West Ham, who didn't travel to see them play at home versus a side who uh, like Brighton are good, but like 
we're West Ham, we're supposed to be better. We finished seventh last season. We're in the Europa Conference League. We were trying to finish fourth the year before. So, you know, I don't think they'll be accepting of those defeats, which is why the booze ring out, Max. That's why the booze ring out. Nadem, how shit does work get like when you haven't won in 15? Oh, my friend, let me let me bring you in. Listen, that first week, you're like, come on, this is it. All the hope because you spent six weeks getting ready for this. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. It's a disaster. Like my foot, when that season came, when we didn't win in like 14, 15, the first game was at home to Swansea, who we, we thought we could beat because we had a nice thing about over them. We lost 5-0, Max. We lost 5-0. So, <laughs> okay, so this is, this is a crisis in week one. Uh, then week two came, week three came, and then it gets to a point where people are telling you how many games it's been. And I think the way that football tends to work is, you know, there's a... Someone might say, oh, you've not won away in this long, or it's been home and this, that, and the other. But whilst you're looking at the table and you're always close to being a being a, a win away, what are you a win away from? You know, you're a win away from being fine. You know, the team that's fourth bottom, they're only a point ahead of you. You're a win away from going above them. And then all of a sudden you get your win and you're like, well, we're still bottom. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it can get it can be very, very, very stressful, my friend, especially when all eyes are on you and fans are arriving, knowing that you're going to offer them one of the worst displays that they've probably seen in their lifetime. Can I just very quickly, since sorry, since since Nedum's here and we just touched on it, the the twenty the twenty twelve twenty thirteen QPR squad, one of the strangest Premier League squads ever assembled. Oh, I, oh, it, yes. It, there's so yes. many like quiz questions that people want. Like he, he was in there. Yeah. Yes, that's because you exactly had because right, yeah. you had exactly this core right. of like really solid pros with like yourself and like Clint Hill, Sean Derry, Jamie Mackey was there. But some really weird players as well in there who probably should Isn't. not have been a QPR and probably weren't sure why they were a QPR themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 pretty true. So yeah, when when Julio Cesar gets the ball and rolls out to Clint Hill, now that's not that's not something you thought you'd ever be saying. But for six months to a year, it made perfect sense. <laughs> um, uh, David Moyes was. Uh, talking about, and uh, I should get the pronunciation correct since I'm going to criticise the fact that he doesn't know how to pronounce it. Is it Tilo Kera, Lars, the new signing? Yes, yes, that is it. Yeah, Tilo Kera. Um, he says, I've been calling him Theo, says David Moyes. I've been calling him everything. Whatever happened to John? I think I'm losing it. I'm calling him all sorts. I'll have to get Fucking him a nickname. Fucking sign someone named T. John Whatever then, happened- David. No one's stopping you. <laughs> It's this, it's like great observational. You're a, you were a stand up, Barry. Do you ever do whatever? You know who remembers peanuts? Whatever happened to John? Uh, <laughs> should be what David Moyes opens with. <laughs> That'll do for part two. Part three will begin um, with that excellent game at Craven Cottage. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Fulham three, Brentford two. Have the lights of West London ever shone brighter than they did when Fulham played Brentford, says David. Uh, Lars, brilliant game. Unbeaten starts the season for Fulham. How surprised are you? I mean, I, I obviously wrote them off completely and thought it would take them about six years to get this many points. Well, I, I had them as the, the team I kind of liked the best of the newly promoted ones, even though they were... You know, Marco Silva was very upset going into the season because he thought he didn't have enough players and the recruitment had done, been done late. I just think their strongest eleven looks looks pretty good. And flying ice obviously means a lot to them that Mitrovic is, is scoring goals and looking sharper. He's moving around a lot more. You know, last time he, they were up, I, I thought he spent a lot of time hanging around the box, but uh, now he's much more involved, looks much sharper physically. And I just think they've had a lot of stake for their recruitment under the ownership of, of Shahid Khan. Uh, there was that time they came up and made too many changes and again maybe could have moved earlier this summer but but you have to you know credit where it's due Juan Palinio looks fantastic and uh Having, again, <laughs> bring in Hedham, having a really good holding midfielder just seems like a what is like a life hack of football. It's like it just makes the whole team so much better. And I can just imagine as yeah. a center half or a fullback playing behind a really, really good holding midfielder who will snuff out danger, his positioning is really clever. Yeah. That must make your life so much easier. Oh, it certainly does. It certainly does. But it's, you know, I think I was... To one of the people, I think on this show, I said I thought Fulham might be all right. And obviously it's three games in and that could literally like set on fire. But they look they look better. And I think with the signing of like a defensive midfielder as a priority, you know, that I thought that kind of set the tone for who they wanted to be this year. Because usually it's like, oh, we're, we're Fulham, we're in the west of London and we're going to try and be the most beautiful football team in the history. And we're going to play all this nice 
football is going to be 600 passes a game, 25 step overs. I guarantee it. That's why it should come down. But no, no, we want a defensive midfielder and he's going to chop things up and we're going to win the ball back and we're going to be fine. And yeah, it's it was a positive sign to see the way that they're playing. And I can understand why people weren't really going to be having them. But, you know, these games, by the way, Fulham Brentford, they were really good games in the championship. I used to really enjoy watching those. So to see them in the Premier League now, although unexpected, it's it's like a it's a bit of a treat. And also Mitrovic scoring three goals. I think he scored three in total for the last season he was here. But I tell you what, which people need to be aware of because he's done it twice now. When that ball goes out to Fulham's right-hand side, look out for the bear on the back post that's <laughs> desperate to just literally jump over the top of someone. Like, he's... He, on this occasion, it was in Bumo that I had to try and deal with it. For week one, it was Trent. So whichever right-back it's going to be or whoever's in that slot, just make sure you're ready because you're going to have probably like a 95-kilo man on your shoulders at some point. Chris says, can Lampard and Gerrard get the sack together <laughs> in the same season? Or will it have to be one or the other? Let's do uh, Villa um, and Everton. Um, uh, uh, Palace beating Villa 3-1. And actually, Palace Baz in this game were, were excellent, weren't they? Fully deserved this. I know there was, there was quite a lot of VAR. Jonathan Pierce had an existential crisis while commentating on Match of the Day. Um, but comprehensive from Palace, I thought. Uh, they're an outstanding side under Patrick Vieira and some very exciting young players. Uh, there was a, a VAR in this decision, or, or in this, there was a correct, but, you know, annoying VAR decision in this game where Jeffrey Schlupp had a, a goal ruled out for because Odson Edward was like millimetres offside in the build-up and we had a similar one in uh, the Fulham-Brentford game and I think there was a couple of others maybe that I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but not to dwell on that, uh, the, this Palace team is just a, a pleasure to watch. They, they really are. And... Well, Zaha is, is looking like he's going to have a, a great season. He's already scored twice, and he's got loads of good, really, really good young players there to help him out. Where Palace are no longer reliant on them, but that you know that's not a particularly revelatory insight from me either, because we've known this for quite some time. But it's good to see that they have kicked on from last season, and I think along with Brighton, they they too will fancy the chances of maybe trouble in the European places. Yeah, for sure. I think I think Palace are sneaky good. And I think one of the best things from that game on the weekend is the reaction once they went 1-0 down. You know, they almost scored straight away, which kind of just deflated Villa. Because usually after you take a lead away from home, you want to try and just make sure the, quiet, the crowd goes quiet and all this. But for Villa, they never had the chance to sort of reap the rewards of that. But also to talk about that Schlupp goal that was disallowed. I don't know if you guys agree with this, but this is literally, I think I might have said this before, actually, it's the one thing that the MLS has over the Premier League is that when you look back at VAR decisions for offside, they don't bring the lines out. And I think that's fair because for the assistant referees on the side, they're not judging offsides based on lasers being shut out from their eyes that go from somebody's kneecap to somebody's elbow or whatever. So if you see it and it, you think it's onside, then it's onside as opposed to saying, well, I can prove to you it's not onside because literally like half his knee is in the wrong position because that's that level of detail even though it's technically correct according to the laws of the game, it's not really needed because interpretation could put it in a position whereby, you know, that could be given. And if it is given, nobody's really going to argue about it. Jonathan Pierce said the spirit of the game is infringed. I said on the radio to Barry, it was basically Edward and whoever the defender were, were both doing the smooth criminal video <laughs> and just Edward could do it slightly better. So he was just slightly, he was slightly further down. Lars, you wanted to come in. I'd uh, just be... To flag up how good Eberese is, uh, being very good, first of all, but also being just aesthetically uh, just a great player to watch. Mm. Um, may maybe Nedum has some insights on this, oh, but I, I, have this, I have this theory that he must be an amazing dancer because he's got an incredible <laughs> balance yeah. and just such a smooth mover of the ball. You know, you have some yeah. players who can beat a man through just being very pa fast or having the, the Ronaldo chop or whatever, but is it just sort of glide pa glides past players as if they're not even there? It's incredible. Yeah, he's a... Uh, He's known as Snake Hips. He's, he's very good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's, he's very smooth. Having played on the QPR for two years and have, having to go young v old versus, with him every Friday in the games, like he's probably one of the reasons why I retired, but he's, uh, <laughs> he's but we won. We won. We won 70% of the games, but Barry is here to see him do well. It's fantastic because his journey isn't that simple to this point, but he very much looks like he's going to be here for a long time according to how he's playing right now. Um, Carl says, how worried should Villa fans be? Our run since this past spring has been dismal. 
Uh, my tip for this season was a conservative 13th, one place above last season's 14th. Now I'm feeling like I might have been too optimistic. And, th- and they've spent quite a lot of money, Lars, haven't they? Yeah, and I, you, you obviously feel for them with the Diego Carlos injury. I mean, that, that's terrible for, for him and, and for the club. But I, I've always been worried that they're kind of heading towards an Everton long term as well, because they've spent quite a lot of money. And they've spent quite a bit of that money on players who aren't young. Uh, and who aren't going to develop that much or be sold on for a big fee. So I just I kind of don't really understand the direction they're heading in. And really big questions to be asked, I think, of, of Steven Gerrard going forward, even though it's really early in the season, but they didn't start last season very well. Uh, he's lost his, his famously influential right-hand man, uh, McBeal. Again, to QPR, getting an absurd number of mentions in, in this pod. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I, I really think currently Aston Villa look like a team who are a lot less than the sum of their parts. And when that's the case, inevitably, a lot of people will look at the coach. So that situation is worrying for him. And would you say, Lars, comparing it to Everton, we'll go on to their game with Forrest, that Everton kind of are the sum of their parts because their parts aren't quite as good or certainly some parts <laughs> of their parts aren't <laughs> Yeah, I, that, that I, seems to be front. more a case with them at the moment. Uh, I, I, I look at them and I think... You know, they have a lot of players who work really hard right now. They have a lot of guys who cover a lot of ground and run around, and I don't think they'll get outclassed in a lot of games. But you're just kind of worrying where the goals are coming from for them. For a lot of this game against Forest, they were okay. They're just not creating a lot. And both against Forest and against Villa, you know, like a fish... That, that only really starts fighting when the boat is in sight. You know, when, 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 late on in the game, when, when it, it seemed like they were heading for defeat, suddenly they, they pushed forward and, and, and started doing things. But maybe Lampard needs to work on the balance between defence and attack here, I'm not sure. But, but certainly for Everton, a lot of decent footballers in this team, I would argue, but just where are the goals coming from? Do you think the fish only starts fighting when the boat is in sight, or has it been fighting all the time, but you can only see it? No, the no, there is a, because, often with fish, there's an extra sort of spurt of energy when, when they're nearing the surface, uh, when they sort of take out whatever's left of, of, of power. This, this is the thing that happens. I think we have to defer to Lars as a Norwegian <laughs> and grew up on a fjord, just, just fishing all day, every day, I, I presume, <laughs> jumping off his longboat with a spear. Um, is that is that uh, are you offended, Lars, or is that okay? No, I mean, it's inaccurate. I grew up on the <laughs> banks of a decent trout lake, actually, and I had a rowboat. Uh, yeah, but, ah, but the fjord okay. was uh, nearby. I suppose the fjord wasn't that far away. There was a fjord, but no, I'm I grew up right next to a lake. Nadim Forrest played really well. I thought in this game, created a lot of chances, scored the goal. For to then concede how they conceded must have been really. Yeah, Bloody it, it must have been. But then in the same breath, I think you look at both sides and th- at this moment in time, not great. You know, I think Forrest will get points, but it's just, I don't look at them and think, oh, they're going to they're gonna get a ton of points and they'll be just fine because there's still a few little details that, say, potentially need to be ironed out. And say to for this Forrest goal, I think it was Patterson um, just switched off just for a split second. And that was enough for somebody to go through and score that goal. And then for the, the Forrest goal, the way they conceded, like, why is Jordan Pickford getting an assist? Like, he's not cleared the ball. He's played somebody <laughs> through on goal. You know what I mean? Like, oh, come on. Like, he's running <laughs> through on goal. He's literally running through on goal just because, just, like, someone made eye contact and he ran in behind. So, that, again, that's that's by design. But sense the danger. Why is your line that high when somebody's, like, even if it's a goalkeeper, if they've got time on the ball, you've got to be more back foot than front foot. So I think they'll look at that goal. Think about all the things they could have done better because it's so so avoidable. But you know, this is the Premier League, and even the the teams who aren't in the best of shape can sometimes have moments which can bring them back and bring a sense of redemption. So I think Forest will be disappointed, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, points on the road these are these are huge positives because some sides go long long periods without getting anything at all. I think um, Jordan Pickford should be credited with two assists because he parried the ball to the feet of Brennan Johnson for Forest goal. <laughs> Made life very easy for him. Uh, let's finally do uh, Leicester 1, Southampton 2. Does anyone feel sorry for Brendan Rodgers? Last, do you feel sorry for Brendan Rodgers? Got no money to spend unless they sell. It looks like they might. They will sell soon. I feel sorry in the sense that he's he's been there for a few years and, and, and done a really reasonable job. I mean, we... It's one of those things when you say it out loud, it doesn't sound that impressive, but they did finish fifth twice. And I think finish higher than six two seasons in a row when you're not one of the so-called top six teams is an achievement. 
and they were they were pretty close to getting that Champions League spot that could have been transformative for them. But they didn't. And now there is a little bit of a sense of that cycle coming to an end. You know, you got again the, the goalkeeper just left, which I still think is weird. Uh you you've got a couple of players who were young and promising and who now probably look at where they are in their careers and they're thinking maybe the time to take a step up is, is here now. You got Jamie Vardy, who's still a good striker, but he's 35. So it, there's a real sense of that cycle kind of coming to a close a little bit. And you know they they just they just don't look great at the moment. I mean it's still early, but they've they've they produced the second lowest xG in the league in their first three games. They have the second lowest shots on uh, shots on average produced per game. So that that's that's kind of not very good. I tend to think, and they also don't look very reliable at the back. So not not good for Leicester. I think is my expert analysis here. A massive result for Southampton this Baz. You know, and they Che Adams did brilliantly when he came on because. I don't know. I mean, I think we both relegated them at the start of the season, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And so did a couple of other people on the pod. Yeah, it, it's a huge result for them because they hadn't won away from home since February when they beat Spurs at uh, White Hart Lane. I, I remain unconvinced by Ralph Hasenhutl. I'm sure there's a man- good manager in there somewhere, but he can't seem to string... Or he can't seem to get any kind of consistency... Uh, at Southampton but you know bringing on Shea Adams that was the solution to the pickle he his side were in and, and it worked so you have to say well done um, interesting as well that Leicester conceded once again from a set piece this uh, wasn't a corner it was a long throw from Will uh, Salasu and I'm just uh, curious actually I'm conscious of the fact we're a bit stuck for time but how hard are long throws to defend against? Uh, I think it depends on the team that's throwing it in. Some teams just throw it in because they have a long throw and there's no structure behind it. But to give Che Adams credit and Southampton credit for that, they've worked on it because they threw it. They, they set che, che Adams up as if he was going to be the person who was going to get the flick on, but they intentionally threw it over his head. And as it's gone over his head, he, he spun round. He spins, yeah. Exactly. But indeed, he was behind him. He's still jumping to try and win the header because he thought it was going to be for him. And then the set is there. So they've practiced and practiced that and worked at it. So when you come up against teams who have a ploy other than just throwing it for a distance, like it can be quite tricky because you never know what they're going to do. That's one of the problems with like playing against teams like Brentford and stuff in the past because they were never the biggest, but they're always doing things which you never expected. And that's what makes it hard in the end. I spent, I reckon I spent 80% of my amateur career as a target man centre forward telling the guy in front of me to go nearer the thrower. Yes. Because they'll take two men, it'll hit my head, then spin. And when they do yeah. it, they're through. Um, yeah. uh, Wesley Fofana's head wasn't right. He looks like he's on the way to Chelsea. It might be eighty-five million pounds. Seems a lot of money. You know, when you think Leicester are quite good at getting a lot of money for players, he was wearing, as I pointed out to Barry yesterday, an oversized cactus Jack Dior sweater, beige and brown cashmere jacquard, which costs four thousand two hundred pounds. Uh, there is a tank top version for £3,300. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's Man United Liverpool tonight. Uh, Jonathan Wilson and Solano Hickman on for that. Will Knight got in touch and say, what do you make of Manchester City's connected scarf? Have any of you seen this? It's a scarf that has a PPG sensor to measure the blood flow through the skin, an EDA sensor, uh, which uses lie detector technology, um, an accelero accelerometer data uh, monitors <laughs> movement uh, temperature sensor for body movement as well um, it says technology to power a more inclusive future let me read you the blurb it's excellent for more than 100 years the scarf has been the ultimate symbol of football fandom it's seen the highs and lows and captures the blood sweat and tears of fans week in week out now together with our partners Cisco we're excited to share an innovative upgrade to the scarf that allows us to measure those ups and downs to get a better understanding of the emotion at the heart of the world's beautiful game. Using an emoti-bit biosensor sitting discreetly on the neck, the connected scarf captures the body's biosignals throughout the match and allows us to shape more curated, customized experiences in the future. Did you think, Barry, the scarf needed to be upgraded? No, but it's it's the scarf for the fan is... Uh, it's a it's a scarf, a football scarf. But for the people who are selling it, it's invaluable information harvesting. That's what it's a very cynical ploy to um, take advantage of gullible football fans. But then there are lots of things in football that are very cynical ploys to take advantage of football fans. 
So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be less cynical just for balance, just for balance, just for a little bit. So I'm gonna perceive say maybe we perceived as like a whoop band when they're doing like the PGA tour stuff and they're saying this is their strain level and their heart rate as they're hitting a shot as they're leading a tournament. And because they're trying to get into fans, I think they'll try and align it. And by the way, I have no idea here, but I reckon they'll try and align it to moments that happen within a game to try and show this is the fan experience. Because, you know, maybe that's going to be the thing that will draw somebody in. Because now you see, this is the oscillation as a goal scored by Kevin De Bruyne or the distress as a goal conceded. Maybe, maybe, but that's just for balance. That's just playing devil's advocate. And in all fairness, I'm not buying one. I'm not buying one. So, yeah. yeah. I have a very long afternoon of taking all the emoti bits out of the half and half football weekly scars this <laughs> afternoon, uh, which you could get at the guy as we are. All we want to do is a cynical ploy to get as much money out of you as possible. Uh, go to the Guardian's uh, bookshop to find all that tat that we're trying to sell. Um, and that'll do for today's podcast. Thank you, Lars. Uh, anytime. Thank you, Barry. Cheers, Max. Thank you, Nadim. Thank you very much. We'll be back tomorrow to look back at Manchester United versus Liverpool. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.